Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We're live in downtown Charlottesville. A lot to cover on today's program. We will talk topics that matter to you and long-form content on a show today presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. I was talking with, with, with friends over a couple of uh, cold beverages, and we were talking upzoning and housing affordability, and, and, and this question came up. If you were in opposition to density and zoning, more zoning freedom, upzoning, does that mean you're in opposition to housing affordability and helping frontline workers um, own real estate in a landlocked 10.2 square mile city? That's a question I want to ask you. Um, and, and, and we can weave Judah in the mix on that with the lower third in a matter of moments. I, I don't think those are... Uh, I think you can be in, in, in opposition to upzoning, but still pursue housing affordability in the community for police officers, nurses, teachers. You can be pro-land um, trusts and what our friend Keith Smith is doing at the uh, Thomas Jefferson Community Land Trust and, and be against density, upzoning density. You can be um, pro um, down payment assistance and be opposed to upzoning. The folks that are painting the individuals in this community that are in opposition to upzoning as, as, as folks that are um, furthering a class system or, or trying to cut off the American dream of home ownership for frontline workers, that's a narrative that's being spun. I want to have the conversation today on the show, and I want you, the viewer and listener, to join us on the discussion on this topic. Can you be against the upzoning and the increased density, the more supply should stabilize price? Can you be against that theory while also still being a proponent for housing affordability in the community for teachers, nurses, and frontline workers like police officers? That topic on the show, we'll talk about Brasserie Cezanne. Is it Belgian? I think it's Belgian, right? Maybe. It's Belgian. Uh, restaurant in the downtown mall. Um, now officially, as, as Keith Woodard's team, the owner of this particular uh, building on the downtown mall, they're like, look, uh, enough already. We need to take part of your footprint, Hunter, on the downtown mall, and we got to at least chop it in half and, and rent half of this storefront here. I mean, it's been, it's been too long. And we're truly seeing the unfortunate fall from grace here. And it's being played out because of a, a, I hate to say sense of entitlement, but I think that's clouding judgment, unfortunately. Um, you have not heard a sincere apology yet, and I'm sorry. If you want to rotate the, uh, the lower third topics on screen now on a one-shot, that would be great too, J-Dubs. Carol Thorpe and Bill McChesney, hello and welcome to the show. You haven't seen a sincere apology from Mr. Smith, and I think that would go a long way, or at least it's a start. It's a starting place. 
Um, Daily Progress has another story out. Progress has covered this story um, extremely well, almost from start to finish. You've had commentary from Chris Humphrey, a chef at the Whiskey Jar. You've had commentary from Laura Foner, the owner um, um, of a restaurant that's had a falling out with the champion hospitality group. Um, and now the Daily Progress is, is, is further reporting that um, Mr. Smith, Mr. Hunter Smith, is behind on even more payment on vendors, including potentially... Um, a significant behind on payment on, on rent with Woodard Properties. And we all found it extremely intriguing on this network, opening this um, Cezette, or this Brasserie Cezette, or this little convenience store in the downtown mall. The initial plan was grab-and-go sandwiches and beverages to help the lunch crowd that wanted to-go cuisine the tough aspect of doing that business model on the downtown mall is the rent is astronomically high. I think a grab-and-go model was a fantastic idea. But a grab-and-go model in a standalone storefront, not a great concept. Not a great concept. You want to do a grab-and-go concept, do something like a luce on the downtown mall, the pasta window. I mean, their rent is, 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 is next to nothing. And their gross profit per square foot, I would imagine, is one of the best in the city of Charlottesville. That pasta window. You got two people working in essentially a, a, a master, a primary suite closet. The size of a primary suite closet. And they pump out damn good food. Damn good food. It's basically an, an elevated food truck. It's a step above a food truck here. Better quality of life than a food truck for sure. But basically, a very similar concept. So today's newspaper has Hunter again in the news. We'll talk about the program. We'll talk about on today's show what we got to do to figure out his PR problem, to figure out the business model problem, and the next steps for rehabilitating an image that over the last six months have undoubtedly, it's an image that's been negatively impacted by some business decisions. And that's, that's fair commentary, Hunter, what I just said there. I also want to talk on today's show um, what should go in the old Annis pizza spot. Front of the program, Terry Hinderman. We have dubbed Terry Hinderman the um, mayor of Fry Springs. Terry Hinderman is a businessman. He's a real estate owner. He owns the Fry Springs Station um, the gas station. I think he's a part owner in the restaurant. I know for 100% certain he owns the gas station where the restaurant is located. The restaurant is certainly paying rent to him as the owner of that property. I'm curious if he's also a minority owner in the restaurant. Terry Hinderman lives in Fry Springs. He's got multiple lots there. I'm going to be seeing him later today. He also owns the Anna's Pizza storefront. The storefront that has, what, a convenience store over there, and a laundry mat. The Anna's location is 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 massive. It's four thousand four hundred and seventy six square feet. Anna's Pizza on Maury Avenue. The laundry mat is two thousand four hundred and seventy five square feet. Jenny Stoner and Johnny Pritzloff. Johnny Pritzloff gets serious props on this program. Someone should get Johnny Pritzloff in this mix. If 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 John Pritzloff is 
is on social media. I think Pritzloff is, and someone send a text to Johnny Pritzloff, call him, Facebook message him, Instagram him, let Johnny Pritzloff know I'm giving him some props here. I think he's one of the best deal makers in Charlottesville, Johnny Pritzloff. He can put people together at a pretty impressive clip. And he understands like the nuanced element of deal making, this commercial broker that works for Tallheimer. He's got a very deep network of people. He knows a lot of wealthy people. He knows a lot of folks that are entrepreneurial that are pursuing business ownership. He's, frankly speaking, has got the most market share with commercial real estate in Central Virginia. He's got Hinderman's listing on Maury Avenue. So does Jenny Stoner of Tallheimer. The question I have for you, the viewer and listener, is what should happen to Anna's Pizza? What should happen to that spot? Is a 4,500, let's just call it 4,500 square foot restaurant the future? Or do you chop that up? You chop that up. Do you, do, you, do you consider a food stall concept at Anna's? Do you consider a brewery concept at Anna's? Do you make that into two storefronts at Anna's? You got a laundromat that's coming up for rent over in that shopping center that's 2,500 square feet. We'll talk about that on today's program as well. You can also um, ask us questions and let us know what you want to cover as well. Why don't we go to a two-shot and welcome a man who needs no introduction as we put the lead headline on as a lower third. Alex Erpe is also going to join us today. We'll have the triangle of content on the program, the Chief Executive Officer of Emergent Financial Services. First, good afternoon, um, J-Dubs. How is the, uh, how's the world treating you today? Not too bad. Yeah, same. Think, things are pretty good. Allergies are killing me, um, but it's warm. I'm wearing a short sleeve Roback. The Roback makes a fantastic shirt. If you're not wearing a Roback, it's a Darden brand. It's a brand that was birthed at the Darden School. And it makes a damn good shirt. It's a little, it's, 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 you know, it's not an entry price point, but the quality is certainly there and the collar holds up. It's one of the best shirts I've worn. I want to talk housing affordability versus upzoning. Do you think you have to be pro-upzoning to be pro-housing affordability in this community? Because there's a large portion of people that are pro-upzoning that say if you're not on our side of the fence or our side of the line in the sand, that you're not in favor of housing affordability for frontline workers like teachers and nurses and police officers. Very few of our officers, as you know, live in city limits. Large majority, over 90%, live outside the city limits. Hmm. Where do you want to go on this? What do you make of the overarching thesis or, or lead of the show? And then we can dig, uh, take a deep dive. I just think that's never an intelligent argument. In any, uh, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Uh, when you make statements like anybody that's against such and such is not for such other thing, um, it's just it's just a, a horrendous argument. It's very polarizing. It's a very polarizing approach. It's not even Let's talk about it specifically with this topic, not in general terms. Okay, um, I'm not as good at talking about this in more specific terms, but uh, I mean, there's never just one way to uh, skin a cat, so to speak, and affordable housing is not just about upzoning. Um, I mean, that can't be the only metric by which we judge uh, how, to, how to create affordable housing in Charlottesville. Um. We've got to be thinking other alternative solutions 
And I mentioned the land trusts. I mentioned down payment assistance. I mentioned creating jobs that pay better, that are outside of um, uh, the, the spectrum that currently exists in this market. All of these are better paths potentially to affordability when it comes to housing. Um, specific to this topic as it pertains to Charlottesville, it's a partnership with UVA that can help drive this affordability. It's getting the university to consider a payment in lieu of taxes that Michael Payne is trying to push that will help affordability in Charlottesville. It's figuring out a better program from a... Um, you know, a seniors or folks that are under, you know, underemployed or out of work and figuring out a way to offer them some, uh, some respite when it comes to assessment overhead. It's a number of different approaches. And right now there's a narrative being painted by folks driving the upzoning conversation that if you're not on our side of the fence, then you're not pro frontline workers living in our community. And, and I'm, I want to, debunk that. I want to try to pick that apart. And I want to try to give you, the viewer and listener, some ammunition to, to, to try to say, hey, not so fast. That's not actually what's happening here. Because you got a, a, a loud and organized but very small group um, on, say, Charlottesville Twitter that lean socialists that are trying to make folks feel bad for not being pro-upzoning. Because they say if you're not pro-upzoning, you don't want nurses and teachers, officers, police and firemen and EMTs to live in this community. And that's just not the case. I have questions about upzoning as it pertains to infrastructure, as it pertains to the city's ability to manage roads, to, to manage increased population in schools. I'm concerned that the city has a difficult time maintaining sidewalks right now. What's going to happen when more people live here? I'm concerned that bicycle and pedestrian safety is going to be in more jeopardy or, or, or a much more precarious scenario when more people get here with upzoning. We already have a problem with bicycle and pedestrian safety. We have very, very limited bike lanes and pedestrian um, opportunities in this community. I, I just don't want to, to continue the narrative that if you have beef with upzoning, then you're, 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 you don't want teachers and, and nurses and police officers living here. Don't let folks push that narrative on you. It's a false dilemma argument. I, those are all big words here. I'm just tr trying to talk specifics to Charlottesville. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, those are all big words. I'm just trying to talk zoning and housing in Charlottesville. That's all I want to talk about is, is the topic itself as opposed to this false dilemma stuff. Join, please join me, though, if, if, if you see that I'm missing something on upzoning here. I mean, you're talking pretty broadly, so I mean, I had some questions about some of the, some of the assertions you made. But, okay, what uh, are your questions? Uh, I mean, I'd have to go back and... Uh, uh, I mean... I agree that it's not uh, it's not a one or. What are the questions? I I don't have specifics on the questions right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I this is the topic I want to take a deep dive here and 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 you know I just we gotta we gotta shake the narrative because it's a it's a it's a divide it's a polarizing dividing narrative. 
Okay. It, it, and, and I'm curious to see how the candidates, um, in particular Bob Fenwick, manages this. Because I will bet you Fenwick's going to run on a platform opposed to upzoning. Hmm. Time's going to tell. He's lived here a long time, and he understands the concept of infrastructure, especially from his time on council. I mean, and, and, and J-Dubs, I don't want the viewers and listeners to think that I don't want nurses and teachers and officers and firemen and EMTs to live here. I think they should. And maybe the, the idea is to get creative. If you're in these specific positions or professions, then you can figure out some kind of down payment assistance from the mm-hmm. community. Maybe that's the idea. You're talking about down payment assistance for a... Uh, Buying a house. Down payment on a house. Yeah. Because we want a community with nurses and teachers and police officers and firemen and EMTs to afford to be able to live in there. That's fair. But the, the down payment is not generally the worst part of the uh, uh, buying a house, is it? I mean, the down payment could be fairly static over, uh, over several different purchases, whereas it's usually the, uh, it's usually the, uh, the monthly uh, payment that comes up as being, you know... Down payment is, is, is one key component of buying a house, and it's often yeah. the first barrier of entry, having to put a sizable payment up front that a lot of folks don't have, especially a lot of folks that are stuck in a, in a, in a lease for rent where they're having to put first month's rent, last month's yeah. rent, and security deposit down. Um, Bob Yarbrough says down payment is a huge initial hurdle, undoubtedly a huge initial hurdle from the king of Redfields. Those are the ideas to help. Our teachers and police officers and firemen live here. No one can see the future, and no one has a crystal ball that can predict what's going to happen. But I just want you guys to use your straightforward thinking skills. If we allow the city, which is at capacity now zoning, basically at capacity now, you got few plots of land that are underdeveloped. You got a few. You got the IGA on Cherry Avenue. You got the big parking lots on West Main, huge parking lots on West Main. We still don't know what the future is for that track of land that Wendell Wood owns by the Rivanna River on High Street. That's another example of undeveloped land right there. The old candy shop on West Main that's all the way at the back of the parking lot across from where a world of beer used to be. That's another piece of land that could be developed, although there's a hotel percolating in that site. We have few spots that are ready to go from a, a housing standpoint. I get that. We're maxed out. And if we're maxed out and we allow more zoning flexibility and we have more people in a maxed out area, isn't that going to create potential more strain on infrastructure? Infrastructure that's already throttled. Would anyone say we have bike and pedestrian infrastructure that's up to par for a world-class city? No one would say that. Would anyone say we have public transportation that's up to par for a world-class city? No one would say that. And the zoning flexibility is just going to strain that even more. Hmm. Carol Thorpe said, this is what it is. She, she goes, it's the behavior of a bullying mob that insists disagreement with our solution equates to lack of support to the goal. She says the attitude and tactics 
Jerry has described have long been, in my experience, a constant form of intimidation employed by a particular group of progressive and socialist Charlottesville. That's what I'm seeing as well. I wonder what the root is or the motivation is for that. What's the root cause or the motivation? Is it income, wealth? Is it wealth disparity? Is wealth disparity the cause? The motivation for what Carol's describing in the comment that I just read. I'm not sure how wealth inequality would be the cause of their arguments. The wealth disparity causing folks to push up zoning to drive affordability. Some folks... Folks are being painted if you have a house in Charlottesville. Oh, you have a house in Charlottesville, you own it. You want to create a gate. You want to put a gate around the Charlottesville city limits and keep other folks from coming in. And that's just not what's happening. Let's get to more comments coming in. This is from Deep Throat. There's actually quite a lot of zoning margin. Many lots capable of subdivision. Many lots zoned for more than single-family house that only have a single-family house on it. The limit is infrastructure. There it is. The limit is infrastructure. We don't have the infrastructure here for this kind of zoning freedom. He also says no evidence has been uh, adducted that zoning is a, is a binding constraint on housing unit production here. Right. Right. Um, Seville's, uh, Seville Matters, welcome to the program and thank you for watching on Twitter. We love you interacting with us often on that platform. Um, Dylan's Rule says, this is silliness. If you don't support X, then you obviously oppose Y. Is someone to stay away from. Exactly. That's what's being spun. Oh. <sighs> We'll see how it plays out. I'm surprised that this has not been decided because you have majority control on council up for election. So you saw a little pullback from Juan Diego Wade a couple weeks ago. Not this past meeting, which was last night, but I, I believe the meeting that just transpired, the one before last night's, Juan Wade also was like, yeah, this has gotten more momentum and has gotten, been, become a larger animal than I ever anticipated. Kind of echoing Lloyd Snook's thoughts. So you're seeing folks hedge. Interesting time. All right, I want to throw this before we get Alex Erpy in the mix. If we go to the next headline on Hunter's Restaurant, I see a lot of the chefs watching and a couple of... Uh, folks that work for some of his brands here. Where do you want to begin with this? And the story continues. Is, does the, how does the story end for him? Uh, I mean, he's obviously trying to salvage at least one or two of his businesses. Right. Um, I would guess that... I would imagine that would, should be champion. Although he's got the joint venture with the brewer in North Carolina going. So I'm curious what percentage of profits was, was, was let go when that joint venture with the brewer of North Carolina, when that JV was created. I wonder what he had to give up profit-wise 
and control-wise for that joint venture. He obviously gave up brewing the beer, although they're following his recipes. They're going to take a lion's share for the making of the beer, the brewing of the beer, and the distribution here of the pie, right? Mm -hmm. So if Champion's the one he saved, maybe he's done that with that joint venture, but that pie is much more slim. He's got to figure out a way to keep the fire from spreading. Like, check the contagion. I mean, I think it's too late for that. It's pretty much, it may almost be, uh, may almost be fully, fully burned out by now. I mean, all that's left is to... You got Passiflora. Yeah. You got now half of a Belgian restaurant on the mall. I mean, well... You still are on the lease at Who's Brew. The Suzette portion was never actually was never really a part of the restaurant they used it for as the newspaper article said as the dining room as additional seating area you read the article in the daily progress right yeah it said in the article additions additional seating area waiting area for the dining room they were utilizing it as overflow for the restaurant brezzi saison i mean has anyone seen it overflowing at brasserie saison friday and saturday nights it gets busy not during the week Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, here's what I would suggest as someone who's in the brand management and PR business. Start with the genuine apology. And genuine apologies in 2023 can be done on social media through an Instagram Live or on Twitter or on Facebook. We saw how Chris Humphrey and how he posted on Facebook, that became news in the newspaper. What Laura Fawner posted about the trials... The, uh, the difficulties that she's gone through at Siren, she did a long post about that on Facebook. And that went viral. I would start with a genuine apology. That's the first step. The second step is to do whatever possible to get vendors that are owed thousands of dollars or, or back months of rent caught up. Get it caught up. And I would try to do a fire sale of any assets the business has to do this. The newspaper has an article, has a, has a line in the article that he changed his phone number. Yeah. You read that? I mean, this, it's, it's, it's just not a pleasant look right now. So I, I, I don't get the impression that Mary Jean Jaggers of Jaggers Communications is working for him anymore. No, I think they've I think parted they've ways. Talked about that in other articles. Uh, yeah, I think she is done with that. Yeah. Maybe she wasn't getting paid. Either. Maybe she wasn't getting paid, or maybe her values suggested that she should be the spokesperson for someone who goes about running his company in this manner. Yeah. I mean, when it starts, this is, this is can you think of um, a local storyline, local business that's imploded like this? No. Anyone? I mean, I mean, there are very few, uh, very few like, business owners that have that you know have this this type of uh, spread. This through. is like when Jim Baldy was doing folks' taxes and manages managing their books and their payroll, and then Baldy went on a bender with people's uh, money, with businesses' money, with their payroll. He wasn't paying their payroll taxes for the Dude. businesses that he was representing as an accountant. He was an accountant and a bookkeeper, ran an accounting and bookkeeping service. And he took the businesses that entrusted him 
with their payroll taxes. They would take, I mean, how it works, you know, may, may have never explained this to you. We have a company that manages our payroll. The money goes from our account to their escrow account, and our payroll taxes are paid that way. They do it every two weeks to make sure we, you don't want to get behind on payroll taxes. And that's one of the deaths of small businesses is getting behind on payroll taxes. We pay them on time. We do them every two weeks. We don't pay them quarterly. We don't pay them every six months. We don't pay them once a year. I'm not going to risk the payroll tax exposure. Baldy, back in the day, I'm talking, what, maybe 20 years ago on Jim Baldy, was not paying folks' as payroll taxes, businesses' payroll taxes. Instead, was taking that money. Remember, he tried to launch a jazz club in Belmont? He was stealing from Tony at Cafe Cubano on the downtown mall and a number of other small businesses. And Baldy ended up going on the lam, went to California. He had an alias, legitimately a fake name, and was living a completely different life as a server in California on the lam, running away from Virginia and felonious activity associated with his nefarious bookkeeping and accounting work. And obviously it's not with that point there with, 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 with Hunter, but who has realized or who can come up with a local business that is imploding like this? And, and, and like this means so publicly and visibly. Yeah. Like this is publicly and visibly. Other local businesses implode, but not so publicly and visibly. Yeah. And that publicity and visibility is the scorn of... of team members that's caused that publicity and visibility it's the scorn of folks that got burned mm-hmm. wouldn't you say yeah I, that's definitely uh brought a lot of this out of the uh out of the shadows right oof Kevin Yancey says, with a collaboration brewing joint venture, he'll garner 30% max, if that. Kevin Yancey knows the beer business. Thank you, Kevin Yancey. Well, you, what, where are you at, uh, Yancey? Are you in Waynesboro right now? Albert Graves says, what do we want? An overcrowded, world-class city? And he also says, down payment is huge for a home buyer who has no mortgage portfolio. We'll get to the other comments. I want to get Alex Erpy in the mix. Neil Williamson says, value America. That's a good example, Neil. And Kelly Jackson, a restaurateur herself, um, says, fixing your reputation in the restaurant world is an uphill battle. That's very well said. How is he going to staff anything now? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be real tough, especially considering that I'm sure the... Uh, the uh, staff in these types of restaurants talk. all talk to each other, yeah. and it's not like somebody's going to come into the to his restaurant with uh, a lack of knowledge of of what's been what's been going on. Uh, I would think it would be very hard to find someone who's not desperate. Yeah, I mean, oof. Well said. Well said. I mean, close them. And sell the assets. Sell the assets. Anyway, I want to get, uh, Alex, why don't we get you in the mix here? we got the CEO of Emergent Financial Services in the house, Alex Erpe. Um, do you want to touch that story? 
You obviously knew about it coming in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been reading about it. This isn't the first no, article on this. has been ongoing. It's been a saga. Yeah. First, good afternoon. Good to see you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah. I hope everyone will choose the uh, allergy season oh, this year. It's been brutal I don't for know me. if you've been feeling oh, it. Horrendous, dude. So I, I forgot my Zyrtec this morning. So uh, no I, I'm a Claritin every day. I, ha- I mean, my, my throat right now is absolutely on fire. God. Like, That's literally crazy. on fire. You have? Are you feeling any allergies? Do you, Judah? I'm not having any allergies right now. Uh, not an allergy? I, you know, it's, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the, uh, what the issues are, but uh, every few years it hits me just like it hits everyone else, and then in between, it, for some reason, it seems to leave me alone. Huh. Very yeah. nice. I'm yeah, it's not. It's it's. Uh, I, I suspected as much when spring seemed to come really early. Yeah, and it was a oh, very boy. mild winter. Oh, what do you boy. What do you make of the yeah. story? I, it strikes me as very much um, the issue. You, we we you, economics teaches you a little bit about it. That there comes a point when, as a business, you need to recognize what is a sunk cost. In other words, trying to keep something alive. For too long just ends up burning you more like at some point like you said you you need to recognize what may not be working sell the assets pay your vendors move on it, this all see a lot of this just streams to me i'm trying to keep this afloat and you just did the whole deep just to not pay vendors to not apparently not pay staff on time that just strikes me as i'm trying to keep this afloat yeah and you just need your hole deeper and deeper robbing peter to pay paul yeah, and th- that's what it strikes me of, and it does it, and usually that's a failure to, which as human beings we're susceptible to behaviorally, to not be willing to cut bait on a sunk cost. You see, baseball teams is the classic analogy with this. How many times do you see baseball teams run out of player, not but not because he's good, but because they've already committed thirty million, fifty million dollars to him. You, for them, yeah, they, they got deep pockets. They can make those mistakes. But when you're a small business, if you keep digging the hole deeper, it just gets worse. So at some point, you have to say the the ins and outs are not working. Otherwise, I can't even pay the basic expenses. I need to cut out those fixed costs and then move on. Um, Alex Serpe is the CEO of Emergent Financial Services. He's the co-star of Today E Manana, which airs Thursdays at 10.15 a.m. on the I Love Seville Network. Um, we haven't talked with you in a while. I've missed chatting with you. Know, and here. we've had um, a lot of uncertainty. We've had banks. Mm-hmm. We've had rates. We've had bank runs. We've had a new labor number out today. We had another sign of potential cooling inflation. We're thinking maybe the last interest rate hike by Powell coming up. Maybe we hope, fingers crossed, rates start going down again. Where do you want to start? I think uncertainty is the name of the game right now because there's just so many conflicting pictures that, I mean, obviously you have inflation clearly persistent enough that the Federal Reserve does not want to stop. They, They hinted at the last rate hike that the end may be coming, right? Which was a complete reversal from the rate hike previous to that where Powell said we may have to do this a lot longer than previously expected and the market panicked. But they they very much intimated at the last rate hike when they only did 25 basis points that we may be now closer to the end than to the beginning, right? The challenge is 
as we've discussed before, it's very difficult to say at this juncture, have we seen the actual negative effects, the full extent of the negative effects of rate hikes on the economy yet, or are we just beginning to see them? I mean, we are seeing them in terms of, obviously, the banks, that they are sitting there. Because, again, what happened with Signature, what happened with SVB, those were mismanagement cases that then become very public. That does not mean, however, that other banks aren't sitting there. They probably are sitting there with losses on their bond portfolios. And so, and that's a direct result of rate hikes. So as that begins to percolate with the labor number today, of course, for the first time in a while. Down. Um, there were less than 10 million job openings. And it, and it like, it's not like it touched at 9999. I mean, it just blew past that number. So we're beginning to see those concerning signs. The issue is, is there a lot more to come or is this, are we nearing the end of that as well? It's just, there's so much uncertainty out there. And I think we see it a little bit locally as well. Just How that so? Can, That's what I was going to ask you. you. I think as I look around, I begin to sense just that sense of uncertainty. What's, what restaurants closing here? What, what looks a little slower? You know, sometimes even today, Manana, you can try to get a sense of where marketing budgets are. And you begin to say, all right, maybe, you know, there's not quite as much money flowing around as there was. And, and that may not necessarily be a, a sign that the customers aren't there, but it's a sign that businesses are concerned that, that the customers may not be there. I mean, they, I think Chamber of Commerce found the other day the number one concern for small business in this country is still inflation. So as much as the numbers may be easing, there is, there's still a very big concern being seen on the, on the small business side. In other words, before they've even sold something to you as the customer, what they are seeing on their end is still very high prices. And again, inflation came down to six in the last number, but the problem is that six on top of last year's nine. So from two years ago, the, the, the small business saying, yes, I'm, I'm glad it's not nine again, but I'm still up nine plus six from two years ago. So I'm st- and I still need to pass these costs on to consumers, which is a serious problem. So it's still, even now, the number one concern for small business owners, according to the Chamber of Commerce's recent survey. What are the clients asking you in a merchant? To be honest, the, the, the clients, the, the market usually is the number one driver of concern there. Um, the two questions being asked is, do I have to work longer? Than expected on the financial planning side, right? So, and your answer? The that comes down person to person. It'll usually be it's the people on the margin. So, in other words, you've always got your people that they've saved enough and their expenses are low enough that they kind of never run out of money. Social Security tends to cover it, and then you've got it, and then you've got those people that kind of already knew they were going to have to work into their seventies because they started saving too late. It's those people on the margin that. Maybe two years ago, they were thinking, okay, I'm set. And now two years later with inflation where it is and where they're seeing their expenses and the fact that their savings plummeted last year because of the stock market and the bond market, they're sitting there saying, do I need to know now? I need to know if I, need, if I can no longer retire this year or next year's plan if I have to work till 70 or past. And that's, we're seeing a lot more of that. This year, and does that, that end up becoming a side hustle, or is that coming up with a new profession later in life? Is that staying at the current job longer? It's mostly staying at the current, current job, job longer. 
In other words, I had planned to retire at 65 because, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And, and now it's saying, I, do I need to work another one or two years? And what, what does that do to my, to my savings, to the longevity of my funds? Um, so are you expecting a quarter of a point? Oh, I, yeah, I don't think they're going to go. I, I still expect a quarter of a point. I, I, the fact that they went a quarter, I don't think they're not going to go back and do 50 basis points. Um, but I, I'd be surprised if they didn't do anything at all. I think it's going to be a quarter of a point, and maybe we'll get some hints as to when that would end. I wouldn't, at the same time, I wouldn't expect them to start dropping rates anytime soon. They're going to, even at the point at which they stop raising, they are going to try to leave those rates where they are as long as they feasibly can to try to quell inflation. How do you characterize the, uh, Neil, I'm gonna, that's a great question, Neil. Um, how do you characterize the level of confidence locally, Main Street locally? In, in just the economy? In Charlottesville. In Charlottesville? I mean, still high, but I think the concerns are beginning to weigh on people. I think there comes a point at which the fact that you are still renting and you, because you, just across the board, right? In the younger ages, you've got people still renting that had hoped to buy by now. That begins to weigh on you. Uh, when, when am I going to be able to afford to buy? Will I ever be able to afford to buy if interest rates are seven and where prices are? Will prices ever come down? So you've got younger people worrying on that end. You've got the older people worrying that they have to work a little more. On the business side, again, I, I see it mostly in there is not quite a zeal to market as there was in the sense of my, you know, my marketing budget needs to calm down a little bit because I, I don't have extra cash on hand to just try to grow. I need to try to salvage, stay where I am. And I, I just, you, just the way you talk to people, it's nothing anyone particularly says. It's just more the way other small business owners and I do. We talk about things that we kind of, you, you sense that, if there's not a slowdown, there's the concern that there might be. Um, Deep Throat says this, PPI versus CPI, the gap is closing, which should be a relief for businesses. He also says mm-hmm. we're seeing an effect of hikes in the JOLTS data. That was released earlier today, um, the JOLTS data. I will say this. We work alongside um, in a consultation the advertising agency does call it 106, 107 clients. And mm-hmm. the majority of the ones on our roster, granted we've worked alongside them for an extended period of time, are spending now with advertising. And what they're doing is is they're taking market share away from competitors mm-hmm. because their competitors have gone silent in advertising budget spends. So as their competitors who have not been as... Um, prudent with financial management with their business are saying, good God, I can't spend now to get my brand out there. The ones that are capitalized are, and they're taking customers away from the ones that have gone quiet. And I can rattle off dozens on our roster that are currently doing that. And here's a time to be potentially, I mean, it's the old Warren Buffett saying, what's the old Warren Buffett saying? When everyone's greedy, be extremely scared. Mm. And when everyone's extremely scared, be very, very greedy. I mean, that's what the successful ones are doing now. Neil will ask you specifically, is 70 years old the new retirement age? Mm. And we should also include, we had this topic with Judah, if you want to weave yourself in on a three shot, of whether we want to admit this or not, and this frustrated Judah. 
And I understand why it could frustrate a team member versus an owner. The years that you're going to be working are going to be longer than 65 now. I think that's safe to say. Uh, I, I, I can count probably on one hand the number of clients approaching retirement who are actually going to retire at 65 or earlier. Yeah. I mean, my dad, most who's, people. My dad, who is a CPA, one of the most conservative people ever, now he's had the very unfortunate luck of bad health, mm-hmm. had to go to 70 in part because of the costs associated with bad health. Mm -hmm. Is 70 the new number? Judah, you jump in here anytime you want. Viewers and listeners, how do you feel that 65 is not the retirement age anymore? Just like the topic we had last week, the 40-hour work week is a thing of the past. The more realistic work Mm -hmm. week might be a 65-hour work week. Alex and then J-Dubs, you Mm -hmm. jump in. I think he's, to be honest, I think Neil is right. As as tough as that is to say, the average is probably beginning to approach 70. You know, you, you're, you're, without a doubt, we're past 65. Maybe we're somewhere between 67 and 70. But I, I'm seeing more and more people. And the issue is you also have a mix. We, we, a lot of us now work jobs that involve the mind more than the body. So we do see a lot of people who choose to work longer. Longer, right? In other words, they, they can work longer, but is their bot? In other words, if you're in construction, you're... And you have to work till 70, I, I, my, heart goes, out. my yeah. heart goes out to you if that's right. the case, right? But we do see more and more people who say, I, I intend to just keep working because I work with my mind. And not only that, but I want the peace of mind that comes from the extra years of work. Sometimes it's not even, like, I could get by retiring at 67, but if I work till 70, I know for sure that my funds are going to last me till like 105, and therefore I no longer have to worry. So they'll do the extra two years because the physical cost of doing so is now minimal. The price is that sometimes it, it's, I feel bad, because sometimes we do, you do run across a couple of people that you retire at 70, 71, 72, and your health declines much more rapidly than you anticipated. So your retirement is less enjoyable than you had thought. Because within a couple years after retirement, you're not actually traveling the world like you hoped you'd be doing because you waited so long. Judy, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's a big issue uh, is, you know, wasting your life for someone that could give two squirts about you. Um, I have no problem with people deciding to work longer because they like to work or because, uh, because they have decided that they need the money. It's, uh, it's my, my issue comes when, uh, when a government like France says, Hey, here's the new retirement age. And, uh, I, that just rankles. Um, but yeah, um, it's, uh, we, we are living sometimes some of us are living longer. Some of us, not so much. Uh, it's definitely. I hope to live longer. It's definitely a shame when uh, when somebody you know uh, gives them basically gives their life to a business that uh, that m- most most likely than not doesn't doesn't really care about them, and then uh, you know their life is shorter lived than one would hope it had it would be, and they end up uh, you know they end up retiring. 
uh, and then and then not being able to enjoy that retirement, which is definitely a shame. Um, well, then what's the alternative besides that? I never said that there's a, what is the alternative? An alternative for everyone. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, maybe more compassionate employers. Uh, that would be nice, though I don't ever see that happening. Uh, it's it's a tricky thing. Cause Such a woe is me. Go it's ahead. A, it's a, it's a tricky thing because I, I think part of it is is the fact that um, the price of living longer, right, is that the health costs have really – that's where really I think people are beginning to get eaten. Their well, isn't the price, of living, the price of living longer is – the cost of living longer is more expensive. It's more expensive. It's more expensive. It's more expensive. So I think we're seeing that. I think – Devin, I mean the stagnation of wages over the past 20 years has been – I think a significant part of that, right? Especially given now that we're seeing inflation, you're sitting there. Well, inflation ate what four thousand dollars? I think from the average person's average American's budget last year. I mean, that is a big. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, and that's through their fault, no fault of their own. In other words, they're working just yeah. as hard, and their four thousand dollars just completely vanishes. It's not even that their employer paid them less. It's just the money their employer gave them was basically worth $4,000 less than, than it was the year before. And so those are just really tough things for people to, to face. Digest. To digest, especially when wages are not remotely keeping up with that. Jamie Turner, I have a friend, says this. I have a friend whose granddad is a carpenter, and he just turned 70 years old. He works every day, and he has no clue how he can retire because they rely on his income. Social security, social security is not enough for them. For most people, it's not going to be. It's just, it, it's, it's a tricky thing. And, and I think in some ways, social security has been good and bad for people. Good in the sense of obviously it is, there's no denying it is a pension, right? It is providing something. But I think you'd be surprised how many people do not consider when they are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, that Social Security will not be sufficient. Yeah. There are a lot of people who then get there and realize, oh, what do you mean I can't live off Social Security? It, it, in some ways, it took away the incentive to save because you kind of thought it was going to be there, not realizing that even with its cost of living adjustment, which does not keep pace with inflation, yeah. it's it's social security is a little extra to help you get there. It is not going to make, it's not going to pay for all your expenses. Albert Graves, he says, I work more than 60 hours a week and in some cases have two jobs to work. Um, Warrior AG, we appreciate that comment. Judah, what's on the brain over there? Uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot uh, that I can say other than what I've said. Uh, I think that, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, we're getting to a point where it's going to get rougher for everyone, and or for at least most of us, and uh, and you've got to make a choice for yourself whether uh, whether you want to keep on doing what you're doing or find something that uh, that better represents what you want to be doing going into a time in your life when uh, you may be getting ready to to you know start looking for an island to settle on. I think we're looking at um, Travis Hackworth and Danville. The wife and I save as if Social Security did not exist. Mm, Don't plan on counting yep. on it. That's how I did it with the 20s in my 20s as well. Same here. Um, that was the uh, byproduct of being the son of a very frugal CPA. He said, you're never going to have this, dude. 
don't plan on it. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I do as well, and that's what I typically advise people. Yeah, Travis, that's that's strategic and well played. Um, John Blair on LinkedIn, he says, great local history with the jazz club in Belmont. It was called Bel Rio, and he went there a few times when it was open in Belmont. He also says, density can create affordability. However, affordable housing can also be increased if there is much greater build-out on existing lots within the existing zoning paradigm. That creates a need for city council to approve special use permits and to make sure existing lot setback, et cetera, regulations are not prohibiting maximum build out on those lots. John Blair, mm-hmm. thank you very much Thanks. for that comment. We kind of discussed a couple times even with some office buildings that might be turned into apartments without building new structures. I mean, one of the things that I would consider doing here, and I mentioned this to some of the viewers and listeners that are watching the show has taken my position in the Macklin building and building um, and converting it from office space into uh, micro apartments. Doing what um, Ludwig Kutner's son, Oliver Kutner, tried to do off of uh, Water Street mm-hmm. in the Glasshouse District. He wanted to build micro apartments where they were 300 you know, square feet, 350 square feet um, efficiencies or studios. And doing something like that in downtown Charlottesville and then marketing them to young professionals, folks out of college, early 30s that want to be to and from the downtown mall. Um, You know, that's something I've considered doing here. I'm all for um, affordability. I'm just concerned about the throttle it will have on infrastructure. And I think that's what the folks that are opposed to upzoning, the foundation of their argument is, how is this going to impact our schools and our roads and our bike lanes, our Mm -hmm. walking lanes and our infrastructure? And I think that's something we got to consider. Let's face part, I I, I can respect both things. Because obviously, you know, affordability is very important to me, right? You know, because I just, I know the scene, I see the value of home ownership, right? I see it firsthand in a financial perspective as well. But... I can certainly, I sympathize with people who particularly, like if you think about why Charlottesville used to be ranked like the number one place to retire, it's just a lot of people who leave those big cities, they didn't move here so that it could turn into one. You know, you have people like my, my father, he's like, I didn't, I, you know, I, I wanted to get away from what New York City was, right? The traffic and the and the constant influx of people and the lower quality of life that comes from spending so much time. And you, I, I think they, fee, they rightly are concerned, you know, I, I don't want my city to where I move to then become that again, all over again. You know, and I, I can certainly, I sympathize with that. So it's, it's finding that balance whereby, you know, you don't price people out that they can't afford to live here at all, but you don't, you don't turn it into, into something it's not. Um, this is this got me thinking on something Neil shared with me. I believe Neil Williamson is still watching the program. He's the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. He shared with me something on Twitter um, from Bloomberg, which I'm calling it up now, of of the push during COVID for with Zoom towns mm-hmm. and how Charlottesville undoubtedly was a Zoom town or became a Zoom town as folks got the ability to work from home. Folks in the Zoom Town era, and it legitimately is an era that is now maybe yesteryear, mm. the Zoom Town, were sprinting and flooding to smaller towns like Charlottesville that had colleges or universities yep. and thriving restaurant, arts, and music scenes because of the influence of those universities. Mm-hmm. That's Charlottesville. Bloomberg did an article, and Neil shared it with me. It was published published in late March. 
um, and it's called Zoom Towns Exploded in the Work from Home Era. Now new residents are facing layoffs. A lot of the folks that sprinted to the Zoom Towns because they thought they could work remotely, they've lost their leverage. Mm -hmm. The employer now has the leverage in an economy where you, you saw the jolts, okay? The employer has the leverage the now. Has the, which and we warned about. We told the folks this was going to happen. I, these things go in cycles. I li we literally on this and show I, told people this was going to happen. I don't know if you happen. saw um, McDonald's. Yeah. Is North now, America office. They are they're, now firing people remotely. And, and dude, and we're talking about the McDonald's layoffs. These are not folks that are working the fryer. This is their North America office. Well, these are people that wear suits to work. Which, They're getting canned. It's the tech and marketing. Yeah. It's all those kind of remote things. that, And so they've literally told all those people, work remotely this week. right? And everyone's like, they're telling them to work remotely this week. This way you can get a Zoom video or a phone call telling you that you're, you're fired. No, but they don't even want to fire you in person. So virtually sometimes the price, right? There's the upside of work from home and there's the downside. It's easier than ever to be fired because... We the guy doesn't even have to look at you face to face. You are just a person on a screen. Yeah. It's not even a relationship. And we said the in, throughout COVID this was going to happen. And it's happened. And Neil, I appreciate you sharing the Bloomberg article. Mm -hmm. And he literally, this Bloomberg article, the, the author is Charlie Wells. The headline, Zoom Towns Exploded in the Work From Home Era. Now new residents are facing layoffs. People that took these remote jobs in like Bozeman, Montana are being canned and they're realizing the job market in Bozeman, Montana is it's not, not great. great and they're in a 30-year fixed mortgage mm -hmm. in Bozeman, Montana. Or people coming to Charlottesville that were working remotely in D.C. and Manhattan. These are the first people that are getting canned. That's what's going to happen. And it is happening. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Charlottesville was a little more, I think, positioned to weather that because there, sure. are, there are attractive things about Charlottesville regardless. I have seen some articles about towns in the West, Montana, Wyoming, that have been devastated because they came in, they turned into a Zoom town, property prices skyrocketed, the people who had been living there left, and, and then when these people leave, the town then becomes a ghost town. They've made, there, are, there are a couple like former Zoom towns that now there's nothing left because the people yeah. who were living there were driven out, they couldn't afford it anymore. And now the people who moved out there said, ah, you know, it looked great on the Yellowstone TV show, but the winner actually stinks. You know. And the, it, winner, the winner is rough. It probably also looked good when there were actual people that lived there and uh, ran the businesses. But once you, once you make it too unaffordable for them and run them out of town, like you said, what, what's left except a bunch, of, uh, you know, a bunch of people who've got money and know where to spend it? Exactly. So uh, we close with this. Here's what we learn. And smart guy, you can tell. Olivia Branch is thanking you for the segment. She oh, says, thanks, thank you from a boomer. This is beautifully said, Olivia. She's the queen of Keswick. We hope you got the I Love Seville sticker in the mail, Olivia. She says, thank you for sharing this important information for us boomers. I hope to work forever, but I hope to not have to work forever. Mm -hmm. She wants to work forever. Olivia loves her job. She works at Keswick, but she hopes not to not have to, to have work. To. Yeah, and that's a beautiful position to be, and I hope that's the case for you as well. That's Olivia. my dream for every client, is that they can work as long as they want but not have to. What is the – so you're talking retirement at 70, maybe longer. <laughs> Whether you folks want to admit this or not, it ain't a 40-hour work week anymore. It's, Certainly not in Charlottesville. Yeah, probably not. 
What else you want to get out here before we go today, Imanyana? Oh, really? It just, I think the issue is you need, people need to begin thinking of retirement a lot, like how you're going to survive in retirement a lot earlier than we have been accustomed to doing. The, the, the age in which people could really just kind of like ride it with your one, like Judah said, you know, ride it with the one company. And then when you leave, there's your pension and you're trying to set and you're older. I mean, those pensions are gone. They've been, a lot of them have been converted to, for, I can't tell you how many people come with a pension. They used to have a pension, got converted to a 401k, they like a buyout thing. They have no idea what it's invested in. They haven't looked at it. The, the days in which you just, those days are gone. And so you need, you need the earlier you think about it, the, the less stress you will cause yourself later. Because then you'll, you will be able to take some decisions that can have an impact earlier on. Because as much as we talked about, you know, the saving four bucks a day with Starbucks coffee, you know, how much that is, that's all well and good. There are going to be a couple key decision points in your life. Buying a house when to refinance, when I saved, there are going to be a couple key decision points that are going to have outsized impact on your retirement. And you need to be thinking about them as, as early as possible. Well said. Um, Alex Serpy, CEO of Emergent Financial Services. Anything you want to throw to him before we highlight today, Benyana? You got everything covered? Yeah, that was uh, great. He is fantastic. Um, what's the plan for Thursday? Thursday, got, got some good, some good people coming on. We got um, Taina Fias Castro is going to come on from Taida Coffee. It's a local, local businesswoman, so uh, she does some great work. I, I know um, Guajiros is a big fan of her coffee. Love Guajiros. Uh, Taida Coffee. Um, then uh, Matias Yon from Matias Yon Realty is going to come on. Talk, we'll talk a little bit real estate there with him. I'm interested to see his thoughts. Does it? I mean, every week it seems like it shifts. What to think about? As someone who like is paying more attention to the uh, the potential pool of homes than I used to do before I was uh, getting married, it's amazing how things shift week to week. Um, so we'll we'll sort of pick his brain and and, and he'll share some thoughts. And then um, Dr. Leanne Petit Clement from Civil uh, Opera is going to be joining us. So Nitch's going to co-host with me because Nitch is a huge loves opera, opera and Seville opera fan. So uh, she's going to come tell us about what's coming up at Seville uh, opera. So it'll be it'll be a good show. And I mean, as dour as I can be sometimes, I, I try to be. I thought I don't think it was there's, dour. There's today. hope. There's a lot of hope out there. I thought you were very. Um, I don't think you were. Um, negative i think you were fair mm. and i think you were honest and you were frank and you were authentic and it's i would want with someone that i was trusting my money with or my retirement with to be straightforward with me too mm-hmm. and to sugarcoat for folks to say that you can still do it at 65 maybe some can but that would be reckless to sugarcoat it it would and 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 to think that if if what was the stat you gave i mean what an impactful stat the 2023 take-home pay versus was it was it last year's four thousand less? What was the exact? Four thousand less. Four thousand one hundred, I think, less in each in the average American's pocket. Yeah, I mean that right there. Think about that. You got to make up forty one hundred dollars. You have to make. You're, exactly. you're saying at bare minimum, you have to make up forty one hundred. If if nothing else additional in your life increases in cost mm-hmm. or no other. Big time event happens that's going to cost you money. You have to make exactly. up forty one hundred. How are you going to do that besides working more hours? 
That's all that people. That's people all you can do. do. You know, especially since I mean the budgets are already so lean. It's not as though that's what I'm saying. I mean, people are already tapping into the credit card, so it's not as though they have a bunch of extra cash on hand. That that's done. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's true. You got to be honest with people. You got to be honest, that, and that's what we just try to do here. And he's honest. Jude is honest. We just try to be straight and real, even if it's tough. Yeah. Um, his show is Thursdays. This particular Thursday is going to be awesome. My homie Nicholas Erpy is going to be in the house. Love you, Nick Erpy. He crushes it every Thursday at oh, ten fifteen a.m. He's just very smooth operator with how he manages the flow of the conversation. Judah Wickower, a critical component of the show, the director of all yep. our shows. And frankly, one of the key contributors and, and just a, a steadying influence on the I Love Sevil show. Um, I sincerely mean that. We will be back tomorrow at 10.15 a.m. with Real Talk. I believe he's got Scott tomorrow. Yes. Scott Morris is in the house tomorrow at 10.15. Yep. Um, just Keith and Scott. Just me, Scott, and Keith. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And then the I Love Sevil show at uh, 12.30. Thank you kindly for joining us, guys. Have a good afternoon and take care. Alex, that was excellent. Great show. Yeah, Great questions, the from you and the uh, audience. I do.